I wanted to record this podcast because it's something that's um, very important to me from the perspective of conservation. And that is when we talk about conservation, particularly animal conservation, we tend to focus on the animals. But the fact is that to be successful, it's not just the, um, the environment that the animals are in, but it's also what's going on in the, in the economy of the people who live with the animals. So um, I'll expand on this, obviously. And where this takes me is poaching. Um, which is obviously um, quite an emotive uh, subject. And it's very easy to make the poachers the bad guys. Now, in some cases, they are. And I kind of look at poaching as being of two types. And one of them is organised. It's um, big or, or people with a lot of resources in rich countries paying people to go and, say, for example, um, get rhino horns, that kind of thing, which is, to me, absolutely ridiculous because rhino horns are primarily made of keratin which is what you have in the protein that you have in your fingernails and your hair but anyway some people have quite ridiculous beliefs about what that will do so um there, but there's that whole side of it which is very lucrative it's very underground it is different governments trying to clamp down on it but it is definitely there now those guys i would put in the um definitely the bad guy category but the other side of poaching, and this is the one that I think can definitely be um, be handled better, is the local people who live in an area and their poaching is basically something they're forced to do because they don't have any other means of looking after themselves. So um, I want to talk about Uganda, where I've just been. And I was down in the south in the Kosoro area which is close to the um, Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda borders so down in that southwest corner and while I was there <clears throat> I had the opportunity to speak to an ex-poacher and his um, son now I'm not going to name them because uh, they you know obviously they're living their lives they're reformed poachers and I don't want to do anything that would undermine what they're trying to do for themselves and their lives. But they are reformed poachers. They are willing to help to um, stop poaching. But I had a very interesting one-on-one -on -one session with them. And I really wanted to understand poaching from the perspective of a, of a poacher. So let me dive into it and, and essentially the essence of, of what this is about. So the, the local people in that area... And there's a big national park there. Um, and so it's the Mahinga um, National Park um, down in the southwest. And the people who live there are the Batwa. Now, the Batwa are also known as pygmies, so they're the sort of shorter people. And this is their traditional lands. They've lived there for hundreds, thousands of years. And when the land became national park, they were pushed out of it. Now, these people are essentially forest people. Now, some of them could make the transition to living in towns, but not so many. So those that couldn't were provided with seeds and an area of land to develop by the government and essentially left to get on with it. But the problem is that they're in an area where wildlife is around. Wildlife obviously doesn't understand the boundaries. So... 
some of the animals, uh, like the diker, which is a small elephant, they can get in. And what they'll do, they'll tend to leave wheat alone, but they'll eat their other crops. The same with buffalo. And buffalo will um, knock down walls, so they'll build walls around their, um, their land. But um, the buffalo can knock them down. The diker can jump over them. So they need uh, more help in just protecting the land they have. And obviously, if an animal is eating your food, you'll, you'll kill it. Um, and they, this is often a problem with predators as well. So stepping aside, where you have lions coming into an area, for example, where you have uh, people with their cattle or goats or whatever it is, and they kill the cattle, what people will often do is put out meat for the lions, which is poisoned, and they'll kill them. So this is something that goes on not just in Africa, but I've seen it in India as well. So this is a, a way that local people will try and protect their own food supplies, which probably isn't um, uh, unreasonable. Now, the other reason that people will tend to protect their livestock particularly is that animals to them are a bit like investment accounts. So they don't own land really they don't have much money that they, they money tends to be hand to mouth but their animals are where their wealth lies so this is why animals will tend to be exchanged as a dowry that kind of thing because animals represent an investment to these um, people another problem is water in the dry season so um, when i was in uganda it's wet season so it's very wet um, but when it's the dry season, people and animals will tend to go down to waterholes to get water, but obviously that can lead to conflict as well. So, um, you know, it's another problem area. Now, the government does provide water towers to hold rainwater, and this helps to some extent, but basically what I was hearing was that it isn't enough often, and um, people are still forced to interact with animals when they when they go down to... Um, to water hold. So this is the kind of problem they've got. Now, the problem is that although the government have allocated money to help people, and I'm, this is true of Uganda, but I'm sure it's true of other countries as well, more money is needed, first of all. So, for example, bigger water tanks. And in fact, in um, when I was in Namibia with the HRA, one of the things we did as volunteers was to build um, a double sort of ringed two meter high wall made of stone around water towers to stop elephants knocking them down because that was a real problem that they had there so the government does provide money and, and money is budgeted to repair walls and pay for crops but one of the big problems that they have is that there's a lot of corruption in government so what happens is a lot of the money doesn't reach the people it's aimed at now that's one issue and one of the things that I was able to speak to them about was my experience in India with um, the Kana, it's now National Park, but it was the Tiger um, Reserve. And what they've done, first of all, they seem to have dealt with the corruption issue because money does seem to be finding its way to the local community where they need it. But more importantly, they are employing people from local villages to become part of the park infrastructure. So they're employed as guides, drivers, um, hotel staff, you know, you name it, anything that supports the activities of the park, they will tend to employ local people. So that means local people are getting paid, they're getting a wage, so they don't have to rely on poaching for um, money to live. So... 
he basically agreed with me, but um, we've now got a problem with the tribes because the local tribe, as I say, is the Batwa, but there are other tribes in Uganda. And often what you'll find is that the people in authority who are making decisions about where money's spent, who gets hired, they're not from that tribe and they'll tend to look after people in their own um, tribes. So what tends to happen and, and in fact, I've met people in, 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 you know, prior to this, this interview who um, are from outside the area. But what will tend to happen is that people who belong, first and foremost, to other tribes are getting hired, but they live quite a long way away. So often you will find that they leave their family where they are in a different part of Uganda, and they'll come and live in the local area in barracks or whatever it might be, and they will take on a lot of the jobs. Now... There is secondary education that's required um, to be a ranger in Uganda. So that would be two to three years of university before they're eligible. And the local people, the Batwa, who want to be part of this or at least fulfil the ranger role do get educated. But what I was told was that even after that, once the applications are made, jobs tend to be awarded to people outside the area and it's done in a very unbalanced way. Now, I kind of threw out a figure of 80 to 90% of people who are employed are from outside the area. Now, I don't have any anything to um, support that number other than just conversation and, and my own interpretation of what was being said. But the comment was made, that was made to me was that even a move to make this a 50-50 split would be a great improvement and it would put money back into the local economy. So how the local region is managed is definitely um, very much a part of the um, equation when it comes to poaching. Now, the reason I think this is important is that if you look at the threats to animals and the animals that are in danger of extinction, um, human encroachment is often cited as a reason why some animals are under threat. And, you know, the, the facts about it are essentially that this is definitely going to continue to be a problem. People are being relocated. I'm not going to say forcibly, but I'm pretty sure that does go on. And they're being moved off their traditional lands to make room for the these um, national parks, which I think are important to um, keep animal species alive and try and keep the ecosystems in balance, because that's all required um, in terms of not just the animals under immediate threat but there are, there are knock-on effects so animals that aren't particularly affected initially can well be affected down the track if a, an important keystone species is lost but the other side of that as I said at the beginning is the economic factor how do people live with the park because they need to be working together and I think where Khan is successful and I've also seen this in Namibia with the work that EHRA are doing is that local people begin to regard these animals, whether it's tigers or elephants, whatever, as their animals. And once they've got that, feel that connection to the animals, they're no longer competing with the animals, but they're supporting um, the animals and protecting them. So that whole um, system, the interaction between animal and people is in balance. And where you get this kind of poaching that I'm talking about going on, the system is out of balance because the the people who are living next to the parks maybe trying to adjust to a new way of life that they're, they're really not equipped for. Um, so that would point to re-education, that kind of thing being needed. Um, 
they're falling back on poaching just as a way to survive, as a way to make money. So um, when people poach, they might eat the meat that they, they catch or they might sell it to make a little bit of money. Now, another side effect um, of poaching, and one of the things I did when I was in Uganda was visit the guerrilla organization in um, Kisoro. And I was reading um, one of their articles, and it was about a particular gorilla that had been killed by poachers. And what had happened, it had got caught up in a snare. So in this particular instance, the gorilla wasn't the target of the poachers, but it had got caught in the snare and basically had died. Um, so the point of making this particular podcast is really to say that the situation with poaching isn't quite as simple as, you know, animals good, poachers bad. Um, and, and I think we have to acknowledge that if conservation is truly going to work for um, the wildlife, then certainly governments need to step in at a national and local levels to make sure that local communities are being supported. And this is also where certain organisations like EHRA in Namibia, Elephant Human Relations Aid, is, is a good one, um, where they also step in and try and re-educate people. They do what they can to plug the gap that's left by government not being able to uh, look after local people for whatever reasons and make sure that the infrastructure that local people need is protected, that they have the resources locally that they need in terms of water, electricity, um, all those kind of things. And that it's done in a way that respects the animals and what they're trying to do as well. So when you think about con conservation, and this is really the, the reason for recording this podcast, it's really important to think wider than just the animals, because the animals are obviously the key element where people involved in conservation are trying to um, keep animal species alive, stop them from going extinct, try and create the balance. But the other side of that story is the local people who are often just as much victims of what's going on as the animals are. So it's really important that we um, acknowledge that and do what we can to support organisations that are supporting local people and trying to make sure that there's a balance between what's going on with the animals, what's going on with the local people. So that's really um, the purpose of recording this podcast. Uh, I hope that um, has made you give you, perhaps given you something to think about. One final thing to end on. So this I'm recording this at the end of September 2022. Um, most countries now are coming out of COVID. We're traveling again. Tourism is slowly coming back to areas that are heavily reliant on it. But <clears throat> one thing to note is that during the COVID lockdowns, obviously tourism just died. And for those countries that relied on it, it was it was very, very serious. And in fact, um, when I was in Africa just before the lockdown, certain countries were definitely struggling even then. So poaching has definitely increased dramatically during the lockdown period so that has put back a lot of conservation efforts quite a long way so as another um, knock-on of the um, the way covid was handled so this is definitely a real problem right now and anything you can do to help is um, 
um, very useful. Um, on, from my own perspective, um, with the um, fine art print sales and now the framed print sales, um, the money from those sales does go to, a proportion of that goes, it's nominally 10% of, of the sale price, will go to EHRA and um, another organisation in Australia that's preserving rainforest. But one of the things I want to do is expand the number of organisations I can work with, but I can only do that through increasing um, the sales that I'm creating. So that's one of the reasons for doing this podcast too. But um, anyway, to, to finish, as I say, the the whole discussion around conservation needs to include local people. And a comment that was made to me in Zimbabwe uh, when I was at the Nakavango project was that for a lot of local people, they watch television they look at how a lot of the sort of richer western countries are living and probably those of you who listen to this most of you would fall into that category and um, they want the same because they don't have that where they live is pretty basic and they tend to regard animals as getting in the way so this whole business of supporting and educating local people is really really important and i think it's key to conservation being successful Probably in almost every area where there is a conflict, where, where there is an issue around conservation of certain species, I think this is an, something that needs to be looked at in each area. So that's the podcast. I hope I haven't rambled too much and I hope that's made some sense and I hope you found that um, interesting and I will speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for with my podcast, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 